You're listening to Napa Valley College Now on NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us here on Napa Broadcasting and Napa Valley College Now. Aside from all the international focus on terrorism these days, there's probably no more important subject than the state and the mindset of our law enforcement today. Last week on my other program, I did an interview with former Seattle Police Chief Norm Stamper about police culture, risk training, and community policing. Today we're taking that subject as close to home as you can possibly get, as I'm joined here on Napa Valley College now by Damian Sandoval, the director of the Napa Valley College Criminal Justice Training Center right here on campus. It is my pleasure to welcome him here to the program. Damian, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, it's great to have you here. Uh, First of all, spend a little time telling us a little bit about your background and how you wound up uh, heading up this program here on campus. I started my career in the city of Walnut Creek back in 1980. I was a police officer there for 28 years, and as I neared retirement, I started looking at options. I was thinking about a five-year window, and I saw that some changes were happening here on campus and that there might be an opportunity to take the helm of the Criminal Justice Training Center. I had been a part of the program for many years as a part-time instructor and I truly respected the work that was being done here. You talked about community trust and and the relationships between law enforcement and the community, and I knew that that was one of the paramount issues here in terms of foundational learning for our cadets, and I wanted to influence that in the future. And so I applied, and as things worked out, I went through the process and was brought on as the director, and I've been here since 2009, January of 2009, and I have been loving every minute of it. How large is the program? How many cadets are going through it now? You and I were talking before we went on the air about the fact that it's a year-round program. How many cadets graduate every year, and, and how has that program grown over the years? Well, we, we will start each academy class with approximately 45 to 50 students, and we run four classes per year. Of those, we will graduate in the neighborhood of 25 to 34, 35 students. The attrition rate is significant. A lot of people figure out very early on that it may not be what they thought, and they self-select out early in the program the first couple of weeks. What's usually the reason why? Is it just too tough? I think too tough might be a good description, but not tough in terms of physical demands. Mm -hmm. The rigor of the physical aspect of the work is, is definitely achievable. We prepare people for entry into a field training program. I think what becomes very readily apparent to our students is that the attention to every detail, how we comport ourselves, our facial expressions, the language that we use, the words that we choose, all aspects of who we are come to play in every day that we make contact with the citizens that we serve, the people that we arrest, the people that we console, the people that we help through the day, the people that we arrest the people that we take into custody. So I think all of those complexities really begin to weigh heavily on the students immediately. Mm-hmm. And we make a point of making sure they understand that. And they self-select. They decide that uh, they're not well-suited and they move on. Mm-hmm. How many programs are there like the the Napa Valley College Criminal Justice Training Center? How many programs are there in California or even just here in the Bay Area? Um, in the Bay Area, I'm not quite sure. Throughout the state, there's 38 presenters of the regular basic course, that is the Basic Police Academy. Mm -hmm. There are other presenters that do modular programs and extended programs, but I think 38 is the comfy number for who's out there Mm -hmm. doing the work. 
Given the number of, of cadets that come through the program, are there enough jobs in law enforcement today, both here and, and even in the rest of the country, where I'm sure some of the, some of the cadets go, are there enough jobs to support all this? There are, and we have found now especially that agencies are recruiting heavily and sponsoring students again in the basic course. Students can self-sponsor and pay their way Mm -hmm. and then go into the job market. And a lot of agencies find that to be a good way to go. So they're investing less at the front end and you have all the risk that goes with a student coming through a tough program like this. But right now we have a great number of sponsored students. That is students that are already hired and ready to go to work when they leave here. The rest of our students at least about 85% will be hired when they leave or within a year of leaving our program. So the hire rate is strong coming in, and for those not hired at the time that they graduate, it's strong over the course of that first year. How has the program changed over the years that, that you've been running it, and as you know, and even before then when you were just uh, working as, as a teacher there? Well, my predecessor, Greg Moralia, was here for 10 years prior to my assuming the the helm. And he and I team teach in the area of what we like to call human relations, community policing, cultural diversity, um, sexual harassment, all of those relationship issues that come to bear on the profession, both during the training and then out in the field. And I know that over his tenure and since I've been here also, we have continually infused throughout our curriculum the importance of a strong relationship with the community because we fundamentally believe that without community trust in the organizations that serve them, law enforcement can't function well. So we really try to foster the idea, and I think we do a pretty good job of helping our students understand that without a connection to your community, without that mutual trust, it's very difficult to do the work that we do. What happens, and this goes a little bit beyond the scope of of just the training center here, but I want to get your thoughts on it, because as I mentioned, I was having this conversation last week with the former police chief in Seattle, that all of this is is part of the training, all the things you're saying, but sometimes when when these guys, or or women in some cases, become part of, of a police force, that the culture of that particular police force takes over, and that in some ways, and I overstated a little bit, but in some ways it undoes some of that training that you're talking about, that the internal culture becomes more powerful than that sense of connection with the community. I don't think you're overstating it in the way that you've phrased it. I think you've chosen your words carefully and well. The culture of the organization that the student goes into has a much more impactful experience for the student. They're no longer in an academic setting. They're no longer in the antiseptic setting of the kind of pedagogical approach to the issues that will confront them in the field. And now they're working with people who they automatically look up to and trust. And so you have that strong, strong influence come to bear. And it's over the long haul of an experience of a career. We have them for 22 weeks, and we do the best we can to make sure that they have strong ethical foundations and good decision-making um, processes that they can follow. All of that is very heavily influenced by experienced people in the field who may or may not have a similar philosophy that we have. And so it's very easy to be drawn into a culture 
Mm-hmm. And I think I think that that can't be overstated. So it in response to that, does the training period have to be longer? Does there have to be more of an emphasis on those areas to be able to counter the influence that comes later? I mean, is there something in not just your program, but in the process itself in any program that has to be different knowing that that that's coming down the road? I don't know that there's an answer to that, a solution to that, because we're talking about a short-term solution. Because anything can be done in, let's say, 22 weeks. To influence a, a person over the long haul of a lifetime's career. I think the best we can do is to continually challenge the students to ask themselves if what they are doing is legal, moral, ethical, and serving of the community while respecting the individuals that are involved. Such a dynamic environment, the state of California, with its diversity and with the many different influences that come in. And once you do that, then you have to kind of let them go into those agencies and let the agencies then do the best they can. Now, I think it's a lifelong work for any agency to commit to diversity training, to community relations training, and it can't be programmatic. You can't run a program that is community policing. It has to be a way of life for the agency. They have to commit to, we want to be a part of our community. We want to know the diverse and rich cultures that exist here. And we want to connect with them. That has to be a philosophy. It has to be the come from for an agency. Is there any training that specifically focuses on this diversity issue? I mean, in corporations today, for example, in large corporations, even some medium-sized corporations, there's diversity training and all sorts of things that, that are required. There are. There, there are courses that are mandated, and I think as we move down the path and as we move toward a future and trying to stabilize our relationships with the communities at large, all communities, I think that continues to have to be an effort and evolving. In our program, for instance, we have never presented the exact same community relations, cultural diversity training from one academy to the next. We look Mm -hmm. at what the current issues are within our community, within the Bay Area, within our region, and then we tailor our lesson plans to reflect upon those that have been difficult that we have to learn from, those that have been successful that we can learn from, and we imbue those throughout the coursework that we do. So every time we're paying attention to what's going on currently within Solano, Napa County, Northern California, and we shape that into our training so that we we remain current. It's, It's a difficult thing to do and we know that we're going to do it for only 22 weeks and we know we're going to send them out there into the field right. but we know that it's valuable and so you continue to, to stay that course mm-hmm. what, are, what are the admission standards like for the academy uh, they are the same as they are for a junior college with the exception of you must have a department of justice clearance that says you are authorized to carry a weapon during a training program a firearm so short of that, they, they meet exactly what the college standards are mm-hmm. for entry. And is it your experience, I mean, you've been doing this for a while, that police work in general, law enforcement work, attracts a certain kind of individual, men or women, or is there diversity in terms of, of the kind of students that, that come into it? I am seeing more diversity now than before, but I still think it draws the assertive person the person that really likes to be out there. And by out there, I mean is not afraid 
to confront a problem, solve a problem. I use the term confront, but perhaps, you know, address a problem, Mm -hmm. being less confrontational. I think it draws that kind of outgoing personality. Having said that, I've seen some people come in that I thought quite timid and perhaps didn't have that makeup, but you see them evolve and grow and and really transform themselves into someone ready to go and do that kind of work. And so while there is a, a, a commonality of assertiveness, I think, that exists, I think we're seeing more diversity in terms Uh of that even. I mean, certainly not unusual. I mean, we, you know, there are cliches which have basis in truth in in any profession. You know, people talk about accountants being dull or neurosurgeons being egotistical. I mean, that's not true of all of them, but there are certain traits that just tend to emerge in certain professions. Right. I think we we evoke those. I think we we look for those, uh, you know, the assertiveness, the problem solver, the light on your feet sort of response capability to chaos, the ability to react to a chaotic situation and bring it under control while making effective decisions. I think we look at and we evoke those types of behaviors and we do it early to make sure that they understand that in this chaos, you must rise above and you must be the voice of reason and bring peace and, you know, leave it better than you found it for sure. Right. What are the traits that you see sometimes in cadets that you just know, you and your colleagues know, that he or she is going to be really, really good at the job? I like What I like to see, and this is obviously my own bias, is the person who appears to be in command of themselves physically, who enters a room and commands that kind of response. So this person looks like they've got it together. And yet in their face, you see the, you see the, the countenance of a person that wants to help. You don't see judgment, you don't see harshness, you don't see sternness, unless it has to be there to gain control. And so the person that has the ability to flex that way and turn the dial and has a true desire to be helpful in a situation. And so that kind of, it emerges throughout the training program. And those are the people that I know will be in leadership positions Mm -hmm. down the road because they just have a, a calmness to themselves and the ability to get through the chaos and get everyone to calm and understanding. Talk a little bit about this, and this is an extension of that, I suppose, the serve part of, you know, we're here to protect and to serve. And and protection and, and that sense of, of taking care of those problems and those situations is part of it. And you've been talking about that. Talk about the service component, particularly as it relates to communities. You know, we hear lots about community policing. It certainly means different things in different situations. But but how do you see that playing out and, and also in the teaching of, of cadets? I think it's a critical element in terms of a person's psyche, and that is to have that servant leader mentality versus the egocentric leader mentality. This is about me. This is about me winning, the desire to win. I think that's a piece of the personality that comes in, but that has its place in perhaps the violent confrontation where you want to survive and in perhaps the control situation where you must exert control. But I think more importantly, and what we look for is the person that understands that the work that they do serves, serves the community, serves peace within the community and improves the quality of life. And they're willing to give up of themselves to make that happen and set their ego aside. I think those are the the golden people that come into Mm -hmm. the profession that really have a way of being successful and really truly have their heart in the right place. I think it's really easy to fix, to teach somebody how to execute tasks. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to change somebody's heart. And so we look at the the heart of the person and what their true, true motivations are and 
we try to get them to be aware of that. And what roughly, I mean, just based on your experience, what percentage would you say of, of the, an incoming class fits that criteria? I mean, the others may be really good, but but that fits that special criteria you're talking about. I'd say they're they're probably the top five, ten cadets in the class, academically, holistically. Mm-hmm. So not just academically, but they have all the manipulative manipulative skills, and they have the interpersonal skills, and then they have that one. For me, the top three to five have that capacity to improve themselves, to recognize that they are on a continuum. They're never going to be perfect, and they're willing to work to improve every day. So that constant commitment, I think maybe the top five or three in each class. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about what the training process is like. Cadet comes into the class, you know, from first day forward. What's the training process like? Well, our orientation day is very informative. We just give you all the information you need to be successful. Very informative, very clinical, very bureaucratic, really. (laughs) We get all that done. Then day one is a total shift. We bring in our cadre of drill instructors, and we immediately create chaos for them. To the outside person looking in, it looks disrespectful. We yell, we scream, we are in their face. But every word that comes out of our drill instructor's mouth has behind it a lesson that they must learn. And we keep telling them, forget the volume, Forget the, forget the emotion that you're seeing from the drill instructors. Focus on what they are saying. Get what you need out of what they are saying and perform. That's what we need you to do. It's not unlike responding to a call where people are frantically saying many, many things to you, 99% of which are not important, but you must discern. You must discern what is right to get to your resolution. And so that starts off day one right away. And that intensity carries on for the first few weeks of the academy what the students start to practice is working together as a team to listen carefully and to not react emotionally and they don't even feel the progress that they make but that progress happens very quickly they get that they must listen that they must be calm and make good decisions predicated on those elements once they start moving through that then we get more into the complexity of the work We provide them the cognitive information they need to know to make good decisions. We provide them the manipulative skills they need to follow through with good decisions. And then we give them the physical conditioning they need to survive the long-term career with a dedication to lifetime fitness. All that comes together, and then we put it together in scenario testing and training. We do multiple tests throughout the academy, and they, they go through hundreds of tests, about 115 tests, quizzes, et cetera. And skill tests and so it's a constant barrage of development so that at the end we have someone who can enter the field training program which is yet the next level because now it's real and Uh people can be harmed and so that's kind of it in a nutshell very brief are you getting primarily young people students essentially that that would be coming directly from from high school or shortly thereafter or do you get now some mid-career people, people that are perhaps more mature coming, you know, in their 30s perhaps or, or mid-30s, changing careers, et cetera? And, and is that an option for, for some people? My observation, just a total observation, there's nothing empirical behind this, but I have seen more approaching 30 at 30 or in their 30s mm-hmm. in each class. And they bring with them different life experiences, people from the serv- a variety of service industries, 
people out of the military, people who have been at home and in search of and have decided on a career. And um, now we're seeing, I think, even more single parents coming in. And so it's a very interesting mix. We're getting a lot more life experience, I think, right now, which makes for great discussion in the classrooms and great great observations on my part of the skill sets that are brought to problem solving. I think the right. people with more life experience are doing better. Well, it would seem that those would be much greater skills, the life experience skills in terms of that listening and discernment that you were talking about, that, that through life experience, they bring a better skill set to that from the, from the get-go. That's a very accurate statement. It's a great assessment. They tend to be calmer as they make those decisions. They, they are able to wait more before they react. And I think that's a great attribute to have for someone in this business. Uh, the, the swift reactions sometimes are too swift and result in unanticipated endings. The more thoughtful people, the more life-experienced people seem to be able to take a little more time understanding that they're going to get to where they need to get to. More women coming in? I don't know about more women in general, but mm-hmm. I can tell you the class that we currently have has 17 women, and that's very unusual. We usually have three to four women per class, I'd have to say on average, since I've been mm-hmm. here. So we have a very high number. So I think that bodes very well for who we're attracting as we recruit. What do you think that means in, in terms of the academy, but also in terms of policing in general? I mean, assuming that that's maybe representative of, of a trend. You know, I don't think it is representative of a trend. I think it's, I think it's an anomaly, mm-hmm. perhaps not for us, but just across the board, is because I still go to a lot of meetings statewide right. where I see the, the, the gender bias, the gender number, the still the male-dominant environment that law enforcement is. Um, but I attribute it to more information out there, more social media about what the jobs are about, more interactions, and uh, a more opportunity to, to gain information. And so I think there's more of a, an inquiry occurring uh, with females, and we're experiencing some real good success in terms of the training and the ability to get to help them through the program. Talk a little bit about local law enforcement here in, in Napa and in Napa County, and to the extent to which any of them are involved in teaching, lecturing, you know, just participating and helping in any way because they're here. Well, yeah, we do. We draw from the region, and our instructors work the field. They work from the Napa Solano region. We have from Solano County, Fairfield PD, Vacaville PD, um, Sassoon City. We draw from Napa County, the sheriff's office. We have instructors from, from them, Napa PD. Calistoga, I'd be hard-pressed to not to mention one that's not in either of those two counties. That We have uh, nobody from Dixon at the moment, but our coordinator is a retired Dixon chief. And so we have the influence from the region. It's pretty heavily represented in our staff, and we really make an effort to reach out to those agencies so that we represent our region. Mm-hmm. And finally, talk a little bit about the degree to which it has to in some way enter into the discussion in the classroom or the teaching when there are periods like we're in now where law enforcement and their actions, good or bad, are in the news or so front and center in the public consciousness. Great fodder for training. We take those events. We break them down as best as we can based upon what we can know. We then link those up to the lesson plan for the day. When we talk about 
whether it's diversity or use of force, whether we're talking about use of lethal force, arrest control techniques, we bring those current events into the daily training. So an instructor who's teaching you how to handcuff somebody or take them into control will allude to a current arrest situation that maybe didn't go right and how it might have been prevented. And they don't do it by accident. We talk to our different training units and we ask them to link those in so that when we talk about diversity and we talk about the incident, then they're hearing it again in an arrest control and what that could have been, what it meant, what it means. And we generate discussion. Not a lot of answers get provided. Mm -hmm. We ask them to think critically about what are you going to do when and how will it. And then we talk about the organizations in general. So we pull those headlines. We pull those headlines right off, especially when it deals with ethical issues or ethical breaches. Is it equally true in talking about diversity issues, racial issues? And and, and is there honesty about that in terms of of these young cadets talking about those things? I think that there is a real sincere effort to be honest. And we really we set ground rules in our classroom discussions that we have to we have to lean into the discomfort of those edge questions, because without that discussion, you enter the field thinking you know who you are and you may not. So by way of example, our, our current class is heavily represented. I think the majority of students are Latino and then female. We do have 10 students that are multilingual. We have, I think, double digit numbers that were born in a different country. And so we have a real mix and it's great. We are just starting this class, and so we're really looking forward to to when we get those people to discuss issues. But we get them to a point where they are willing to discuss the most critical issues, and that is what's most important to them as an individual Mm -hmm. as they go into this profession. That's where we ultimately end up. That's our, our end class wraps it up, and we ask them to identify what they expect and what they promise to do. And they're powerful presentations that the students do for each other. I mean, emotionally powerful, and I believe cognitively powerful because we have very different spectrums represented in the class. So I'm very excited. And what's going on in the class right now, I think, bodes well for how healthy our discussions Mm -hmm. will be. What are some of the things that they say? Well, they talk about the importance of being respected and the importance of earning that respect and not expecting it because they have on the uniform. So they get into things like uh, power versus authority, and they want to bring powerful resolutions, not authoritative resolutions, and they know that that's a personal versus a role sort of energy that you bring. So if I am personally powerful, I can influence an environment. If I am authoritative, I'm going to be less influencing and more autocratic. And so we get into those thick and rich discussions. And at the end of it, they will ultimately come to understand that despite all the differences that exist, love, family, nurturing, caring, respecting, emerge. They always come to the top. And then they begin to understand that while we are so, so different, there are some fundamental needs that we all have that we really need to focus on as we serve each other. And it's a very powerful experience that they go through. Damian Sandoval, the director of the Napa Valley College Criminal Justice Training Center. I thank you so much for coming in and spending time with us. Jeff, it's been a real pleasure. Thank I you. really appreciate it. Thank you. NapaBroadcasting.com, the online radio home of Napa Valley College.